Okay, so you know how it works. Once you touch down, you get to spend exactly one hour on the surface. You'll blend in with the crowd so nobody will know that you're from the underworld. And anything you do on the surface will be considered mysterious by anybody watching. Any further questions? Uh, two, actually... Uh, one, what happens if I stay on the surface for more than an hour? And two, could we really not afford any other way to get to the surface than a giant slingshot? To answer the voice question, we guarantee you'll come back at the end of the hour. Because uh, no matter where you'll be standing at that point, a hellmouth portal will open up and swallow you back down here. Sort of a safety mechanism in case somebody accidentally triggers the apocalypse before they're supposed to. As far as the slingshot, that's because, uh, somebody broke our elevator. Hey, don't look at me. The boss wanted me to test it. Years later and I'm still getting headaches just thinking about it. Well, hopefully this doesn't cause the same amount of trauma. Just remember to, uh, tuck and roll once you land. Got it. Speaking of which, why exactly did you want to go to New York anyway? (sighs) Let's just say there's some unfinished business that I needed to do back when I was alive. Well, whatever it is you need to do, just try to cause a little bit of chaos up there. Just to, uh, score some points with our boss. Also, if you can think of it, bring me back a hot dog. It's been several eternities since I ate any human food. Okay, will do. Okay, get in launch position. And remember, you only have an hour, so try not to ramble too much like you always do. Ready? I'm... Oh, hey, wait a minute. I have to... And now, just to shame the podcast streamers a little, this is Telehell. Flying out of LaGuardia. Ah, the meter's running. Okay, I'll cut to the chase. The real reason why I'm here in New York is because, well, this place was home for most of my life. And as cliche as it may sound, I love New York, and I miss it. The skyscrapers, the tourist traps, and even the overwhelming sense that literally and figuratively, anything can happen in this town. And nowhere does the spirit of anything happening feel more profound than on a television institution made right here in New York. I'm not going to belabor the point, partly because I only have an hour to spend in the city. So here's the Cliff Notes version. SNL, TV institution, on for nearly 50 years. People think it's been on too long, but we still love it through good times and bad, yada, yada, yada. When I was alive, I watched SNL since I was nine years old. And while there have been some bad sketches that I can find silver linings in, there have also been some sketches that make my head explode scanner style just thinking about them. And I don't mean sketches that are simply not funny. I'm talking about pieces that all but bring up the bile from the back of my throat. 
That being said, we're going to look at sketches that I personally want to tie up in a burlap sack and toss into the Hudson River. And because there are nearly 50 years worth of sketches to sift through, I hope you'll forgive me for narrowing the scope just a little bit to save some time and effort. That being said, here are the rules. First, this is not a countdown. These are just sketches off the top of my head that I absolutely hated. So think of this episode being formatted more like our big game Hall of Shame shows. I'm not going to go in any particular order for these, but I am going to save something truly awful for the very end. So stay tuned. Second, no sketches with recurring characters and no monologues. Monologues because, as Tom Hanks once said on the show's 15th anniversary in 1989, the monologue is usually the weakest part of the show, and I concur. It's way too easy to criticize there. And no characters because that would be too much of a crutch, and also for something to count as recurring to me anyway, the character has to have appeared a minimum of three times. I say this because there is somebody that I do need to talk about that appeared twice. More on that later. I can't stress enough how subjective and personal this collection is. If any of you out there happen to enjoy any of the sketches that I'm about to talk about, good for you. These are sketches that I happen to dislike immensely, and I'm ready to agree to disagree on some of these, so please be sure to take this with a grain of salt. Chances are I'm going to leave more obvious bad sketches out of the discussion, but as a reminder, we have titled this one Volume 1. There will be more of these, I promise. And if there's any bad sketches you'd like us to cover in a follow-up show, you know where to reach us. Next, I may be an SNL fanatic, but that doesn't mean that I've seen 100% of the show, nor is my memory photographic. More than likely, this list will be mostly filled with sketches that I've seen since 1994 when I started watching the show on a regular basis. However, thanks to the ever-widening internet, listing things that are pre-1994 is not entirely out of the question. This compilation is really more about how I felt watching these sketches for the first time, or with several layers of hindsight marinating that hatred. This, too, is for time saving purposes because, as the secretary said, I've only got an hour on the clock. And ticking. And just so we get the nine circles out of the way, the vast quantity of sketches, let alone episodes of SNL, stretch out from hell to the other side, giving comedy fans and foes alike plenty of chances to become gluttons for punishment. The fact that we're here talking about SNL sketches that I personally hated makes this a lock for wrath. And, spoiler alert, some of the sketches we cover will contain trace amounts of lustful and also some violent content. But that's in the most rudimentary sense. Okay, minimum requirement complete. We've already wasted six minutes. Let's bite the big apple. Come with me to our first stop. Okay. I have to use my indoor voice because, naturally, we're indoors. We're at the Museum of Natural History, home to the largest collection of animal and human documentation in the world, the Hayden Planetarium, and also the room that I'm in right now, the wing dedicated to aquatic creatures, and the centerpiece of the museum, a scale 94-foot replica of a blue whale. Sir, please refrain from touching the exhibits. But he stole my change. Uh, it's also here where I wanted to pick up a small souvenir for myself. They have one of those devices here where for 51 cents, you can flatten a penny into an image of that same whale. Now, in the spirit of the boss telling me to raise a little chaos on the surface, I found 51 cents in the cup of some homeless guy. 
But don't worry, he was already passed out drunk. He'll never know. Sir, I'm asking you again, please refrain from touching the exhibits. But he stole my change! Uh, uh, while I'm getting this penny flattened, our first sketch also takes place at a museum. It's Saturday Night Live! Induction number one. Forgive me for starting this compilation with a bit of a cheat, but I actually want to talk about two sketches in one with this entry. First, in the year 2010, a sketch called St. Cat's Middle. Hey Marvin, what did you think of Mr. Conklin's lecture on the power of positive thinking today? Oh, I totally enjoyed it. With positive thinking, you can do anything. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, maybe if Marvin used positive thinking, he could walk. Yeah! I don't know, you guys. I have a broken knee. Well, you'll never know if you don't try. And while I truly thought this was one of the worst sketches I ever saw up to that point in time, for some reason I actually find myself in an increasing minority of fans who actually enjoy it now because of how bad the sketch is. Or as some would call it, train wreck syndrome. This sketch is not just belaboring one joke, but it was also, at the time, a prime representation of Kenan Thompson at his hammiest. And before you come at me with pitchforks, I love Kenan Thompson now, he's improved a lot greatly since then, but back in 2010, many SNL fans have kind of caught on to some of his antics, especially when he does that reactionary goofy face without saying a word, or in the case of this sketch, milking it for all it's worth by having an extreme close-up on him every time he hits the floor and he's pleading for help. Get out of here! Leave me! You talked me into this! Go away! Go away! I need to heal! Leave me by myself! To me, though, what really makes this sketch as awful as it is is the idea that Keenan would play somebody who has friends who actively encourage him to break his leg over and over again under the guise of, no, really, we're helping. Truth be told, I think Keenan's friends in that sketch were passive-aggressive bullies in disguise. They think they're doing the right thing, but they're just making things worse through false encouragement. And man, does that unlock a lot of personal memories. All of that in mind... The actual pick that's going to be going into this first position here not only changed my perception of that sketch, but it all but makes me forgive it for its flaws. Presenting Dino Bones from 2015. I have a question. What if we put a big giant fake turd underneath the dino so it looks like he just took a huge crap? That would be hilarious because everyone would be like, okay? Um, yeah, yeah. I guess he would. (laughs) Not really sure that was a question. Yeah, St. Cat's Middle was bad, but at least it was a bad sketch with some redeeming quality. This is pain. It's pain on a completely different level. A level that can only be achieved by passing through a Stargate and becoming a star child a la 2001. Okay. Nice. That's exactly my sense of humor. I have a question. Random. It's not. Why do they believe the T-Rex went extinct? Ask the most random girl. Shut up. (laughs) I think I'm going to like you. I'm going to sit by you later. The thing is, compared to any other sketch that we're going to be covering here, this sketch wasn't 
offensively bad or even same joke over and over bad, though there are traces of that here. Rather, it felt like whoever wrote this sketch had the idea in his or her head, wrote a couple sentences, went out for a cigarette, and then was compelled to say, fuck it, and just keep going south to New Jersey and never coming back to finish it. It was aimless, it was directionless, it was plotless, Scarlett Johansson and Cecily Strong play unlikable people, Vanessa Bayer gets the Meg Griffin treatment in the sketch, and it says a lot when Keenan Thompson spazzing out at the end is the overall highlight of the sketch. Now I'm like two, three seconds from Wildin'. Look, I'm sorry, but you and your friend are ruining this for everyone. Friend? I came here alone, as did I. You don't know her? We're just two separate people who came here randomly. That's it! Two, one, I'm wildin'! Ah! There we go. One shiny, flattened whale penny. Hey, you down there! You stole my 51 cents! over to the planetarium. Get back here and put the whale back up on the ceiling, you maniac! Space is a part of natural history, and the Hayden Planetarium brings some of that history to life with hourly showings of how the universe was formed, or at least what we know about the universe's formation. While we may not know 100% for certain the hows and the whys, one thing I do know is that you have to have a decent enough brain to process the information, unlike this next guy who got his brain in the stupidest of ways. Induction number two. Our next black eye took place in the middle of one of the show's all-important comeback seasons. It's 21st for 1995 and 96. And for the most part, the whole season was better than the infamous season 20 of the show. That didn't mean there still wasn't any bombs to be dropped from time to time. The first time I saw this one was when my fandom was just starting out. And even at a young age, I thought this was 72 different kinds of... Huh? Please welcome Gus Grady, who is now known as Brainiac, the world's smartest man. Brainiac is pleased to be here. (laughs) Brainiac, tell us, what was it like to go instantly from average intelligence to your current super genius? Well, Paul, imagine, if you will, one moment not being intelligent, and then the next moment, not. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? Forget it, I am Brainiac. Your small child brain cannot possibly understand me. Through my random searching, I came across this old review written by one Mr. Aaron Dickey of alt.tv.snl. He had this to say about the sketch. Quote, I must say, I think a record has been set here. This is very probably the most laugh-free skit aired on SNL since the Gene Domanian era. There were almost literally zero laughs from the audience. Not even a chuckle. What makes this disaster even sadder is that the skit probably would have worked on a C-minus level had there been any timing whatsoever in the delivery. But the performances were so stilted, so hesitant, so lacking in preparation, and filled with the realization that they were completely bombing, that it completely exploded in their faces. 
In fact, I was momentarily convinced that Tom Arnold was about to rip the styrofoam off his head and walk off the set, taking a cue from his fuck-this-I'm-leaving colleague-in-disaster, Will Ferrell. In fairness, I was giggling slightly at how much the brainiac prosthesis made Tom Arnold look like Edwin Newman. End quote. Oh, here. All right, well, if you're not up to this, we Up can... to this! I am Brainiac! My name is a combination of brain and maniac! I'm a brain maniac! What does that mean, exactly? It means brain maniac! Brain maniac! There were other reasons as to why this one was a failure. Mistake number one, Will Ferrell is playing the straight man opposite Tom Arnold's Brainiac. Which, considering this was Ferrell's first year on the show, I kinda understand wanting to test the waters a little. It just feels weird not to see Ferrell in Arnold's role, especially after Megamind years later. Mistake number two, while the prosthetic head was interesting, it distracted too much focus away from what little humor there was. As though to say, sorry this sucks, but look at my head! Mistake number three, in my honest opinion, this was a retread of a sketch that wasn't even that funny to begin with. If you've ever come across the book Live from New York by Tom Shales and James Andrew Miller, there's a piece talking about a sketch around season 11 involving so-called superior aliens landing on Earth, but using the most primitive weapons to defend themselves. It is a documentation of our achievements as a civilization. Achievements far beyond your puny comprehension. Tell them to study it well, but tell them also that we want it back when they are finished. <laughs> Miracles of Science sort of borrowed that idea and somehow made it worse. I know Tom Arnold seems like an easy target to pick on for many and for many reasons, but despite some of the poor career decisions he's made over the years, he genuinely seems like an okay guy. I even felt bad for him watching this sketch the first time. Radiac suggests that we put all our trash on a rocket and blast it out to space. Uh, how would we uh, actually... Don't match wits with Brainiac! <sighs> okay. okay. Now Brainiac will stop racism. Put all the racism on a rocket and blast it out to space. Next, polio. Sadly, even Brainiac cannot solve the trouble that we have, the silent killer of children. Oh, and uh, also not for nothing, just speaking of his episode in general, any episode that had Don Pardo almost keeling over in the announcer booth had to have been a yellow flag. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Arnold! 30 years later, and that still fucking haunts me. But I digress. Eh, enough of this high culture. I'm in the mood for a ball game. Taxi! Where to, bud? Yankee Stadium and step on it. Of course I'm a Yankee fan. I mean, there was an entire musical about a guy who sold his soul to play baseball. It's sort of a prerequisite for those in the underworld to root for the Steinbrenners. But you didn't hear that from me. Speaking of which, uh, I think I should get some info on the game before going in. Time, weather, and... New York Yankees, they win two out of every three games, and they have massive crowds. But last night, Johnny Brito, who looked so good in his first two starts, was knocked out after allowing seven runs, and the Yankees were down 9 nothing. 
Now I'm telling you, what they need, Brian Cashman, bro, is they need starting pitching. And what you got to do with dude starting pitching is you got to trade your bullpen. Come on, bro. I can't be the first. Jeez, they'll put anybody on the radio these days. And speaking of sports... As I mentioned, season 20 of SNL is widely considered by both casual and diehard fans alike to be one of the all-time worst seasons they've ever had. And if you ever need an example of just how bad things got that year, one of the all-time worst episodes in show history was hosted by primetime himself, Deion Sanders. And while there were a number of candidates in this episode alone for all things terrible, the ESPY Award stuck out as the alpha loser to me because of just how little effort and just how little they cared into putting, well, care into it. ESPN is proud to present the 1995 ESPY Awards. Scheduled to appear, Steve the opposite of old is young. Warren, the opposite of sun, is moon. Joe, the opposite of Florida, is Montana. Dikembe, the opposite of Umbuenbue, is Mutombo. Andres, Magasi Agassi, Blue Diamond Phillips, and many more. Everything from Chris Elliott playing a grossly miscast and also bearded Chris Berman to Chris Farley stumbling all over his lines while quote-unquote playing John Goodman because, Satan forbid, a waistline is a character trait. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm John Goodman. Welcome to the 1995 SP Awards, honoring this year's best achievements in sports. Some of the greatest athletes in the world are here tonight, and... So are the New York Mets. <laughs> From far too many slams against the New York Mets, which, again, speaking as a long-time New York Yankee fan, I thought was overkill. And, of course, more Lou Diamond Phillips stock footage shots than allowed by law. Because repeating a joke, or an air quotes joke, over and over is considered true comedy, right? Not to mention a bloated nine-minute running time jokes that dated poorly, including this one. Please welcome Florence Griffith Joyner and Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, your fingernails are kind of creepy. Um, it's like the fingernails of a dead person. <laughs> Bobcat, that's a myth. Your fingernails don't grow when you're dead. As your flesh decays, it recedes, making your nails only appear longer. Oh. The nominees for this year's best NFL... And the very best in fuck it style dialogue. Now to present the SP in basketball, she dates Andre Agassi, and he is Andre Agassi. Please welcome Brooke Shields and Andre Agassi. By the way, it took me a little while to realize that John Bon Jovi was playing Andre Agassi in that sketch. He was the musical guest that episode. And yet, Manute Bowl got more applause than him. Go figure. Oh, yes. Asby, I want to tell USP, uh, ESPN, without them, I am not a total player. 
Thank you. Uh, I am not a total player in the water. Thank you. I was actually willing to give this sketch the benefit of the doubt, though. Back when this aired, the ESPYs themselves were both brand new and widely considered a joke among media peers. Except, of course, for the Jimmy V speech the first year that they aired it. That one still gets me. Think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. So, to that end, I kind of see why SNL would think of it as a pointless ceremony. But still, a little effort would have been nice. The only saving grace that I could have given this one was for Jay Moore's Dick Vitale impression. And the winner is... Who cares, baby? It's women's basketball! It's not a real sport! Oh, it makes me sick, Johnny! Or at least it was a saving grace until the WNBA became a thing the following year. Unfortunately, that line there just kind of makes this just like any other bad sketch. The first thing we well, like all right. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good night, everybody. There'll be a forty-two fifty plus tip. Ah, Yankee Stadium, the house that Ruth built, twenty-seven World Championships. And probably the most expensive tickets you'll find this side of a Taylor Swift concert. Hey, hey, you can't just walk away from here. Pay up. Still, though, there's something special about seeing a game among a sea of pinstripes. No matter if they're overpaid, underperforming, or even in one of those years where they go all the way, the Yankees have always been my team. It's either that or root for the Mets. Come inside. Did you hear me? I said pay up, you bum. Unfortunately, the boss didn't give me too much in terms of spending money. Just enough for a metro card, a bleacher seat, and a couple of snacks. Okay, peanuts! Get your peanuts here! Get your hot dogs! Get your- oh, speaking of which... Yo, two dogs! Give me the works! Yeah, let them know you've been to a ball game without showing off a tacky overpriced souvenir! Truth be told, I never cared for hot dogs. Not so much for the meat, but... All the ingredients that you put on it that makes your guts feel like an atomic bomb is ready to go off at any second. Speaking of which... It's Saturday Night Live! Induction number four. Fart jokes are a tricky breed is a sentence that I never thought I'd hear myself say. This is not to say that fart jokes themselves are bad, but the execution of them often get the criticism. And sometimes it does work well. When you have a chance, look up sketches like Robert Smigel's TV Funhouse cartoon, Casablanca Outtakes from 1997, or Kevin Klein's 1993 sketch where he plays an Italian actor with a severe flatulence problem, or to a lesser extent, 2006's Most Haunted with Hugh Laurie. But then, you have Rear Window from 2009. You don't think it's his wife's body, do you? Uh, what else could it be? Cut! What, what was that? Oh, my goodness. I think that was me. I had a big lunch. How embarrassing. Well, there's nothing to worry about, Grace. You know, we, we, we've all been there. Indeed. I am often there. Yeah. Now, 
Let's take it from the top. A sketch that wouldn't necessarily make the real Grace Kelly roll in her grave, but rather have her skeletal remains emerge from her crypt in Monaco, travel 5,000 miles to the States, hunt down January Jones, and verbally lash her for defaming one of the princess's best performances. Because skeletal bitch slapping would probably be against royal protocol, dead or otherwise. Rear window, scene 15, take... Take. Uh, take. What makes a sketch about fart jokes even worse is the fact that they have somebody as bland and as boring as Jones involved. And yes, I know, she's a very good actress, she was great on Mad Men, and she did get better comedically thanks to her time on The Last Man on Earth with Will Forte. Unfortunately, her entire episode, she just felt stiff. At least to me, anyway. And that doesn't really help matters here. Besides, I'm sure that was the last of it. Oh, hold on. That was. Wait. That definitely was. And that was the punctuation mark to prove it. And to add icing on the caca cake... Jones can't hold it together by the end of the sketch, which is another complaint that I'll talk more about later on, but in the meantime, this sketch did a disservice to both classic cinema and to flatulence, and I'm still not sure who got treated worse. Not even a passable Jimmy Stewart impression from Jason Sudeikis could save this one. Cut! I'm just gonna stretch out my legs for a second, you know? You know, maybe someone could open uh, open up the front window as well. Woo! Eh, this game's hard to follow from the nosebleeds. Just as well, the game's almost over. Oh, oh God, I gotta hit the can after that hot dog, though. <sighs> Shit, I gotta cut through the crowds through the lower decks to get there. I don't know why the secretary wants a hot dog, but that's her business. Oh, oh somebody got a hit! It's coming this way! What the fuck, man? You just cost the Yankees the game. What did I do? Oh, yeah, Nita, why you test the ball, man? You, that, that ball not for you. You, you, you should have caught the, it faster. For the, for the sport. You don't play for the best ball game. Don't you know, go the comparing team, me to Steve the, Bart, the man. This was a fair catch. Okay, you, 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 you're there, Nita. You think you're there, Nita? You get paid you millions of dollars to play. Now put that money to good use. You know that, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. No way, man. You shouldn't have done that on free bat day. Get him! Uh-oh. Time to get out of the old ball game. Uh, stay tuned as we talk more about SNL sketches I absolutely despised. After the break. You're planning a long vacation for just a day or two. You're finally on vacation. You're wondering what to do. You want someplace that's different. You want someplace that's special. You can have a great vacation in New York. Vacation in New York. 
take on Telehell's premium content of the damned. Other than okay. that, other than that, any further questions before we start? Um, I, have a, <laughs> I have a couple times in my script where I noted uh, pause for lightning. Okay, pause I'm just for wondering lightning. if that's appropriate or not. Uh, I'm trying to think. Did I did I tease something that I may have? Uh... No, but I might have. <laughs> The only way to listen to Telehell's premium content of The Damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. Now at new low prices. And now, back to this week's torture. There he is, up in the sixth tree. Get him, get him. Who would have guessed New Yorkers have gotten faster over the years? Damn it, just as well. I'm a little behind on sightseeing. Looks like we're gonna have to hop the subway to get to our next tourist trap. Stand clear of the closing doors. For our next selection, for all the pomp, circumstance, and downright saintliness that SNL's first five years in the 70s often gets, for good reasons. It's hard to forget that those so-called golden years of the show also had moments that sucked. I said, stand clear of the closing door. And while I'm willing to forgive even the worst episodes from those five years for their flaws, there has to be some kind of breaking point. Hey, get in the freaking train before the door splits you in half. Speaking as a fan of SNL, game shows, and even SNL game show parodies... This next sketch from the show's fifth season actually offended me in a way that I didn't think was possible. Okay, you act for it. Now stay clear of the closing doors, damn it. Okay, I'll go inside. Induction number five. This sketch was called You Can't Win, and it aired on February 9th, 1980. Tonight, over $100 million in cash and prices go up for grabs on the biggest giveaway in television history. Get ready, because it's time to play You Can't Win. Now, I ask, how hard is it to screw up a game show parody of any kind? It's a simple and basic formula. Take a game show, add a wrinkle to it that few would expect, and wait for the laughs. And to its credit, this sketch did have the wrinkle necessary for it to work. Contestants doing things that are impossible to win for fabulous prizes. Unfortunately, while this train wreck to be was going down the tracks, a two-ton vehicle was sitting in its path at the railroad crossing waiting for its imminent collision. And that vehicle? A vintage 1980 mid-sized Chevy with a frayed timing belt, worn shocks, and fuel leakage. Thank you, girls. All right, when I come, uh... When I come back, 
I'll do this again. <laughs> when I call your name, I want you to come down here and come on down fast, okay? Are you ready? Are you all ready? Yes. Okay, that's what I like to hear. I believe it's... It's, uh... Linda Martino, that's what it is, Linda Martino. According to most insiders and fans, this particular episode was one where future five-week talk show host Chevy Chase not only flop-sweated worse than Niagara Falls being interrogated by SVU, but there was also the minuscule possibility that Chevy may have been coked out of his goddamn mind during the episode. Not as bad as the scene he would film in the movie Modern Problems, but pretty damn close. Okay. <laughs> Woody, okay, Woody. Woody, what do you do for a living? Well, I attempt to teach history to the kids over at Marshall High School here in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, you'll probably become a, hey, well, a professor of economics should you win tonight. Uh, well, I, I'll probably become a professor of economics if I win here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then, it's time to take a look at the first showcase, so if you'll direct your attention... These impairments show greatly in this sketch. Everything from the aforementioned flop sweat to a world record number of flubbed lines... Once I've spun it... You spend all my money. Now, I'm just kidding you. What, do you want to loosen you up a little bit and relax you? Okay? I'm a wreck. I want you to pick a number. I know you're a wreck. I want you to pick a number. Any number between you're one a and... a little jumpy, you said. Come on now. Cut it out. <laughs> but first, of course, we have to answer the toss-up question. And here it is. Pay attention. You guess right. Let's see how, you, how your luck holds out. Uh, we're going to bring out the mystery booth. Uh, Carol and Janice, let's just bring out the booth. It's even forcing a cameo by poor Burt Convy into the proceedings. And judging by the look on his face near the end of the sketch... He, too, is wondering what the hell he was just put through. Thank you for coming to play You Can't Win. Thank you, Thank you so much for being our mystery guest. I'm out of guest Jane Fonda myself. Yeah. I Thank wish, you, I wish I was Jane Fonda now. Show the sheep. Well, I think we're all almost out of time uh, in our lives, and it's kind of too bad because uh, no one won the showcase tonight. The sad thing about this sketch is that if anybody else was involved in it, the status of the sketch would have been elevated to, eh, decent enough, but not totally reviled. Unfortunately, Chevy wound up killing comedy long before it became his signature characteristic in this day and age. And it's further proof that one cannot and does not live on charm alone. I want to tell you something. Not everybody can win, and you know what everyone says now and again. If you win all the time, you're a sad fella, and you're missing the fun. And the fun starts up again next week on You Can't Win. You Can't Win. Ugh. Now I remember why I didn't like taking the subway when I was alive. Nowhere to sit. Nowhere to stand. If you can't do either thing, you're fighting to keep your balance while the train's in motion. Ah, finally, found a seat. Hey, you're sitting on my coat. Oh, uh, sorry, I'll sit over there. Hey, you're sitting on my bag. Running out of options here. I'm giving you two seconds to get off my lap, or I'll personally make sure you no longer have a lower east side of your body. Well, what do you know? This is my stop. Oops. 
who needs the draws of life. Ah, South Street Seaport. The only place in the city where you honestly can't tell the difference between fresh fish and fresh urine. The other good thing about South Street Seaport is just how close it is to Little Italy. So, before we start to reek of fish guts, here's a sketch that smells just as bad. Induction number six. Let me preface this next one by saying that when one becomes an SNL cast member, they are all but instantly considered a professional actor. It doesn't matter if you've been on the show for many years, or even if you're one of those people who appear on the show for one season, once you make it to Studio 8H, you are considered a professional actor. I will also say that breaking character, or corpsing on camera, is not necessarily the end of the world, even though it is highly frowned upon. And to those who have done so on the show before and in the future, we remind ourselves that we're only human. The difference between what everybody else does and what Jimmy Fallon and Horatio Sands do in this sketch, simply called Fish Tank Repairman, is that the people in the other sketches managed to salvage their performances once they made their mistakes. And yes, that even includes January Jones a few sketches ago. Fallon and Sands simply let this motherfucker burn to the ground. We got friggin' Don Ovi. <laughs> yeah, we got How Would You Like a Nice Hawaiian Poncho. We got a pure cane sugar. That's the one Ovi. <laughs> we got Bookum Dan Ovi. We got Kung Fu as Chin. Oh, well, well, yeah. We got. I'm honestly not sure if it's the material in the sketch itself that made me angry watching it, or the non-stop giggle fest at the end that made this as painful as it was to sit through. We got friggin' Chef Boyardee Where's your white hat, Bobby Flay, over here? Oh, we got a regular, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Oh, yeah. But truth be told, I'd rather take a dull sketch with a one-joke premise than have that same sketch be smothered by complete and total unprofessionalism. I like movies. We got... <laughs> <laughs> we got friggin' Federico Fellini over here. I like water. <laughs> we got freaking oxygen molecule joint with two hydrogen molecules on a covalent bond over here. Okay. All Fallon and Sands had to do was stick to the script, as lousy as it was, and move on. But either because of the near-dead silence from the audience, or one too many overhears. Oh, good time. Oh, right. Bobby, oh, good, good times. times. We got a Jimmy J.J. Walker over here. Temporary layoffs over here. Oh. Give me a break. Oh. Give me a break. 
We got friggin' Nell Carter over here. Yeah, you look like Nell Carter a little bit over here. Looks like Joe Theismann over here. Or their fake mustaches falling off by the end. Or even that awkward as hell ending with Fred Armisen. Oh my god, Mr. Daly, how did you get out of your room? <laughs> This man is very mentally ill. The whole thing just made me feel angry to watch. Not just because it wasn't funny, but to me, it probably represented the total nadir of laziness that SNL may have been guilty of one too many times back in their... God, what was this? 28th season? Considering this was their first season without Will Ferrell, a bad situation was already being made worse by what was already a weak year of poorly written pieces. Even Amy Poehler said it best during this sketch. Stop it, the both of you. You're acting like children. Oh, who's this now? Is this Dr. Benjamin Spock? Give me a break. It's a tough call, but I think the real reason that this sketch pissed me off so much is because by this point in time, Fallon and Sands were both on the show for five years. Their constant giggle fits were nothing new, and we wouldn't expect anything less. But this performance brought out the absolute worst in them. The fact that such a boondoggle wound up happening in the first place was both a testament and the fuse lighting to the surprising lack of quality control that they would wind up with for the next few seasons. Truth be told, the show wouldn't get its bearings back until about 2005 and 6 when the digital short boom began. But we're not here to talk about happy things. Don't let this happen to you! Call Gary's Fish Tanks, a name you can trust since 1982. Oh, let's see. Okay, that's plenty of time to grab dinner before heading back. And what better place to grab it than at the world-famous Little Italy? Too bad it's not September. I would have loved to have been here during the Feast of San Gennaro. Sure, there may be pizza places on practically every street corner of the city, but the ones they make here in Little Italy come pretty damn close to the ones that they make in actual Italy. I assume. I've never been there before, but... I haven't really been much anywhere lately. Uh, Two slices, please. Thanks. Mm. Pizza is one of those foods that, even if there's something bad about one particular slice, it still satisfies your hunger. In a roundabout way, the same can be said for certain SNL cast members. Yes, a lot of them earn their reputations for being great, but then they do something that makes you question their greatness. Such is the case in our next selection. It's Saturday Night Live! Induction number seven. I know that there are many people out there willing to walk on broken glass to defend certain cast members. These next two sketches are headlined by somebody who is practically considered SNL royalty in the eyes of many, but is also a mortal enemy to the other half. And I want to be clear here. I have absolutely no problem with this performer in general. But the seven years that she called Studio 8H her home will probably be one of the most mystifying times that SNL fans have ever endured. And I include myself among them. 
if not because many of us know deep down that she is enormously talented no matter what she does, then certainly because of how irritating her performances can be sometimes in spite of her obvious talents and her seemingly shy nature when the cameras turn off. Hi, I'm Kristen Wig here with Harper's Bazaar UK to share some life lessons. I know it seems hard to believe now, but there was once a time in certain circles of the SNL fandom where Kristen Wig would be considered a four-letter word. I mean, her last name is a four-letter word in the literal sense, but you know I'm speaking in the figurative. And speaking as a life and death-long fan of the show, that also meant having to endure the likes of late-period Molly Shannon, barely tolerating Chris Kattan, and all five years of Sherry O'Terry combined. On a bad day, each of the previous are teddy bears compared to Kristen Wiig on her best day. She was that irritating to me sometimes, and I will stand by that statement. Well, I'm already dead, so I'll stand by that statement long after I'm dead. And yet... She was the show's golden girl from 2005 to 2012, with some considering her the second coming of Gilda Radner. Yeah, they set the bar that high for her. And while I can only kinda see why people felt that way about her, kinda is better than nothing at all, so, you know, at least there's that. But just to be clear, that doesn't take away from the fact that she is deservedly talented. With all of that in mind... I think the point where people started to turn on her was when she debuted a one-off character in 2009 named Trina. Thomas! Hi, it's me! Oh, hi, yes, I, I see you. I'm just finishing up with a customer. Thomas! You're my husband! I know that, so just let me finish here, okay? Sorry, 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 that's my wife. I figured that. Do you need to talk to her? Thomas! Hi, woman. This is a customer, sweetheart. You have to wait. Remember what I told you? I have to take care of my customers first. All right. Oh. All right. All right. Mm. Thomas. You see me? <laughs> I see you. Yeah, look. You see what I have? Yeah, yeah, I, I see what? I have this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. What is Dear, please. This was Kristen Wiig at the peak of Shrill. And the only reasons I can think of why the audience was laughing as much as they were was either because, one, they were too nervous to offend a rising star, or two, it was a paid audience who was watching the show. I assume. The first one of these sketches aired when Steve Martin hosted in 2009. And while I don't blame Steve for wanting to do this sketch with Wig, there had to have been a what-the-hell-was-I-thinking afterthought going through his mind post-sketch. Can you just let me do my job like we discussed? Okay. Oh, all right. Thomas. You know what? I think I'll just take the lip gloss and get on out of here. You know, I understand it, and I appreciate it. Thomas! Thomas! We're married! Remember the wedding? All the doves? Thomas! You know, we didn't have doves at our wedding, Trina. I'm at work, okay? Yes, we did. Yes, they were big, fat, white, round doves. They were balloon-shaped. No, they weren't. They, they were white balloons. Oh, but where were their wings? 
Which brings us to the second time they did this in October of 2009 and the overriding urge to shoot out the TV Elvis style. Here's my first idea. So what if... Hi. Yes. Uh, I, I see. Uh, uh, Mr. Blakely, this is my new secretary, Trina. Hi. Oh, hi. Thomas! Trina, this is an important meeting. Uh, do you mind? Thomas! I work here now! <laughs> yes, I know. And once again, people are laughing at the sketch out of sheer nervousness. Not just because they don't know how to react to what they're watching, but also for the possibility that maybe this was Wig's way of getting away with having a mental breakdown on live TV. And the irony of all this stuff is that even Kristen Wig herself hated playing this character. There are interviews online where if the subject of Trina is brought up, Kristen Wig herself is vehemently against playing the character, and she doesn't understand how or why the character wound up being on the air in the first place. And yet, somehow she got two appearances. Two very annoying appearances. Thomas! Thomas! Thomas, look! And what about it? Thomas, this is for this! (laughs) Oh, Trina. (laughs) Did you see it? Yes, yes, I, I did. You put a cap on a pen. That's great. Thank you! Here, why don't you... uh... Every time she's on the screen to chirp, Thomas! I feel like she's trying to call an animal. Maybe a gazelle or something, but this should not have happened even one time. Thomas! Thomas, you're my boss! Yes, I am. (laughs) Man, I forget how good human food is. But you know, this slice could use a little kick. Ah, haven't had these in a while. I think a dash of red pepper flakes will do. There we go. Ah, yeah. Oh, that's the stuff. <laughs> oh. oh, crap. I just remembered. I have a red pepper allergy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guy, what, what are you doing over here, Maro? Watch out for that food to... cart! You must have my meatballs here with the food cart. Maro, what, what, what is this? Making my mama cry here. So get out of here, you devil. Get out of here, you devil. Uh, he did it. Gotta go. There he is. Get him, get him. <laughs> Damn it, I think that was a little too much chaos. I gotta hide somewhere. Where can I hide? Of course, the circle line. Nobody goes on that anymore. <laughs> Okay. Wow. I think I lost him. Now, if you think 
That's an angry crowd. That's nothing compared to the reaction that our final sketch of the day got when it first aired. And considering everything that happened during the season that it aired in, that's saying a lot. It's Saturday Night Live! Induction number eight. A list of worst SNL sketches would be incomplete without something from the show's sixth season. And if Andrew Dick and Tim Sakali from the That Week in SNL podcast is listening, I assure you, you've won me over to the positive side of things regarding that season. But that still doesn't mean it was perfect by any means. And while there was a seemingly endless number of duds to choose from, some of the things they aired do have a bit of a bizarre silver lining. Take, for example, a sketch that even the most ardent fans are willing to pounce on for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Where's Cooter? Well, and here he is now, none too soon. Where in the hell you been, boy? Nothing. I ain't been doing nothing. Are you mad, Cooter? Nothing. I ain't been doing nothing. Where's Cooter? 1981's Where's Cooter is an example of a sketch that, in my opinion anyway, just looks bad on the surface. But underneath it all, I would think of it as more of a meh sketch rather than bad. Though it's a far cry from ever calling it a masterpiece, let's not mince words. There is a lingering sense of expectation leading up to some kind of twist. And then when the twist is executed... I'm from the Tennessee Williams Authority... You've just qualified to be a one-act play. (laughs) Thousands of people all over the world are going to see... It leaves people with more questions than answers. But again, it's nothing I would ever consider to be the worst sketch of all time. The final pick of this collection is 100% inexcusable. And for all the crap that one of the cast members in this sketch got for saying the word fuck later on in this season, I'm both surprised but... Also, not surprised that SNL even managed to stay on the air past November 22nd of 1980 after airing this sketch. It sure is exciting, Uncle Lester. My very first commie hunt. Well, hell, Jim Bob is the first one they've allowed now in 20 years. I expect I'm ever been as jacked up as you are. Presenting one of the most infamous sketches of season six of SNL and possibly its most controversial sketch of all time, Kami Hunting Season. Now just hold on, we got plenty of time. We want to see when the season starts, we want to make it legal-like. Oh, for crying out loud. My friends in the Ku Klux Klan that was over there, they already shot five commies months ago. Right. And they already been tried, and they've been acquitted, and they loaded up their guns again, and I ain't even shot a fun single one of them. Boys, boys, there's plenty of commies for everybody. The fact that this is a sketch that's universally universally loathed by fans and foes of SNL alike sort of makes this as obvious a suggestion as it is an uninspired one. How so? The sketch was supposedly a response to an incident known as the Greensboro Massacre, and several of the people convicted in that massacre getting acquitted the week this show aired. Which means that the premise of this sketch is essentially, hey... If the KKK can get off scot-free, let's have fun with it. Or so it would seem. 
The premise by itself seems horrific enough, but then you get to some of the dialogue, and it's quite possibly one of the most cringe-worthy moments in television history. And for the sake of respect, this is going to be one of the few times around here where I actually have to censor dialogue. You've been warned. Are they easy to spot, Uncle Lester? Well, sometimes they is and sometimes they ain't. If they's demonstrating like commies tend to do, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Well, what if they ain't demonstrating? Well, hell, Jim Bob, all you got to do is just shoot yourself a Jew. Chances are better than even you'll be shooting a commie, anywho. I did not add that five seconds of silence, by the way. That's really how it turned out when they aired it. I am honest to Satan astonished that whoever wrote this sketch did not immediately get shit-canned for using the N-word in that context. Though chances are, he and many others did once Dick Ebersol took over the next season anyway. And believe me, there's a stark difference as to how Charlie Rocket said it and how Chevy Chase said it to Richard Pryor five years earlier in the Word Association sketch. But that's another can of worms for another day. Dead hunky. The rest of the sketch almost seems like an out-of-body experience after that, and any attempt to fully comprehend what's happening in a rational way seems pretty futile. Now, you know, there's a five-call-me limit for each man. Now, I don't want to see some pickup truck driving out of here with two dozen commies piled up in the back. Oh, well, hold on, there's one right now. When the time comes to reload Pandora's box of all the evils in the world, they better leave room for this sketch to go with it. It almost mesmerizes me that NBC would even bother putting up the sketch on their website in the first place. But, in some weird way, it sort of makes sense for them to do. After all, a lot of bad sketches come and go, but this one remains the high watermark of low brow. And even that is an insult to lowbrow humor. So I guess it has to be up there so that the next time a so-called bad sketch comes along, it gives us the rub to say it could have been a lot worse. It could have been commie hunting season. Now, everybody keep your eyes on me, and when I give the signal, we all fly. I shot me a couple of police once. Nothing to it. I think he's dead. It was an accident, Uncle Lester. Of course it was an accident. Just a hunting accident. These things kind of happen all the time. Let's not let a little thing like this spoil the whole damn afternoon. Come on, boys. It's coming. As I said time and again, there are nearly 50 years worth of sketches to consider. These sketches are just the ones that I could think of off the top of my head. And if any of you ladies and gentle demons out there can think of anything even worse than what I just mentioned, a reminder that this was only Volume 1. There will be a Volume 2 next year, and you're more than welcome to let me know about what I missed on our socials or on our complaint line, telehealthpodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime... 
My ticket back to the underworld is about to open wide. Now I just gotta stay low for another minute without cops finding me. And do I miss that skyline? Especially when the sun sets and it just makes everything shine before the lights come on and... Uh-oh. All right, you satanic bum, you've caused enough chaos around the city today. The only way out of here is coming with me or taking a dive in the Hudson River. Given what comes out of my faucet every day, you're better off coming with me. Thanks, Satan. I know how to distract an unruly mob of circle line riders. Hey, look over there! It's Barbara Streisand singing Nobody's Gonna Rain on My Parade off the stern of the boat! Works every damn time. And three, two, one. Jeez, this guy's too crazy to be a New Yorker. at 6 o'clock, Sunday, April 30th. I'm Dan Anchorman, and here's what's happening. The blue whale at the Museum of Natural History was accidentally untethered today thanks to the criminal mischief caused by a yet-to-be-identified homeless man. Eyewitnesses say the man was shouting that somebody had stolen his change. The museum had to be evacuated. Thankfully, nobody was injured, but the museum will be closed indefinitely. A number two subway car experienced a derailment this afternoon when one of the strap hangers accidentally triggered the emergency brake near the Christopher Street station. It is unknown how many injured passengers there are at this time. Traffic and transit on the ones will have more information in a moment. Reports of property damage worth hundreds of thousands of dollars in Little Italy today as a runaway food cart caused traffic in Lower Manhattan to crash into various restaurant windows, shutting businesses down in the district indefinitely. Police are investigating. Winds AccuWeather, a nice one today, clear and cool tonight with a low of 38. In sports, a guaranteed Yankees victory was snatched by a rogue fan whose foul ball reminded everybody of the 2003 NLCS Steve Bartman incident. Reports of fans chasing after the person who caught the ball are unverified. Winds News Time 601. Expanded traffic and transit on the ones. Pete Toriello with the latest. And sponsored here by DeVry College of New York. And we have a couple of traffic hotspots. Next time on Telehell, by special Patreon request, we go from the worst of Saturday nights to the worst of Saturday mornings. I want to be on NBC. Wayne Gretzky and Michael Jordan, the Postdog. Low notes, cartoon. Yogi Bear and his all-new Yo Yogi cartoon. Saturday mornings this fall. If you wanna be with the best cartoons, just say. I wanna be on NBC. NBC. Until then. If it's not in telehell, 
It's not worth a damn. This episode would not have been possible without the help of some very special people and their respective Saturday Night Live-related podcasts, including Darren Patterson from SNL Nerds. Listen to them at non-productive.com slash SNL Nerds or wherever you stream podcasts. Andrew Dick of That Week in SNL. Listen at thatweekinsnl.libsyn.com or wherever you stream podcasts. Ian Fermaglitch of Ian Talks Comedy. Listen to Ian Talks Comedy wherever you stream podcasts. And Brad Robinson of the Not Ready for Primetime podcast, The Early Years of SNL. Listen to them at notready4ptpod.com or wherever you stream podcasts. The part of the Devil's Secretary was played by Joan Bishop, and the part of the 1010 Wins news anchor was played by Rob Maurer. And now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976. And all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. The show may be over, but you know where to find us. On social media, Twitter and Facebook at Telehell Podcast. Want to hear some premium content? Go to patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. And if you have any questions or comments about this show, feel free to contact us at our complaint line, telehellpodcast at gmail.com. But even more than that, please be sure to like, comment, rate, subscribe, lie to us all over the places where Telehell is streaming, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others, just by Googling Telehell. Thank you.